This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Come with me, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Just the first two verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But particularly that part in the middle. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The NIV puts it this way, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The New Living Translation puts it this way, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all that you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. I think the best, the most succinct of all is J.B. Phillips. He simply says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. I think that says it all, isn't it? Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. The word conformed here is only used twice in the whole of the New Testament, here and in 1 Peter 1.14, where Peter says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former desires as in your ignorance. And conforming here means fashioning, pattering after, modeling after, copying, if you will, to conform to another's example. So this world will always, forever, try to squeeze us into its mold. It will set examples and trends for us to follow. I'm not simply talking here about trends in fashion, or trends in technology, or trends in music. Although even in all of those, we need to be careful uh, that we... uh, Do not get too caught up to the point where it becomes ridiculous. There's a certain standard for believers especially. I'm amazed at how many Christians follow and imitate the trends of celebrities. Sometimes I am not amazed, I am shocked to tell you the truth. Knowing the lifestyle of many, many of these celebrities, who in their right mind as a believer would want to follow the trends that they follow. We're made to be different. We're supposed to be new people in Christ. And if we are new in Christ, then that old surely has passed away. We don't want to get involved in that. I'm also amazed at how many, particularly young Christians, where music is such a big part of a young person's life, how that they can come to church, any church that they go to, and never ever sing one of the songs that we sing. 
And yet they know every pop song and every word in every pop song and sing every word of every pop song. And they come to church and they stand and their mouth is totally closed. I cannot understand that other than conforming to this world. And we're not to conform to this world at all. Some of these celebrities, uh, they, they dabble in Christianity. Uh, they, they say certain things that sound Christian, but their lifestyles betray them. And even though they may talk Christian today, the next thing you read about them, they're on a plane to Tibet to meet the Dalai Lama, or they're going to India to some guru, and it's kind of pick and mix a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Kabbalah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's all pick and mix. That's conforming to this world that we are not supposed to do. The British government has come up with this latest statement. British values, they call it. And they said that we must conform to British values. Now, what are British values? Well, unless they're biblical values unless they're based in the Word of God, then we need to be careful what we're conforming to. And some of these British values now has become enshrined in law. And so it's challenging the Christian church. Do we conform to so-called British values if it is against the Word of God? And the answer is no, we cannot. We cannot conform to that. And so we need to be careful. And we already know how that particularly Christians are, are being forced to conform to laws that are unscriptural, that some of them are anti-God. And we're forced by work, uh, by whatever situation we may be in work, to force to have to accept this because it's now enshrined in law. And Peter says, we have a choice whether we obey man or we obey God. And this is what it's coming to in the Christian experience today in the 21st century. And so they say, well, the world has moved on. They say we don't live in the dark ages any longer. That society has changed. That culture is different. So you're being left behind, you as Christians. You're all fuddy-duddies. <laughs> you're living in the... the away in the past somewhere, the Victorian era, but it's puritanical outlook. And so we're put down, and these values that the world holds is lifted up. And so there's a clash coming. In fact, the clash now is. The world loves conformity, whether it's political conformity or whether it's conglomerate big business conformity, multinationals joining together, or whether it's religious conformity, Many, many Muslims today are saying we want to see the red crescent. We want to see the Muslim flag. We want to see, especially the IS people, we want to see their black flag flying at every nation in the world. We want to see everybody subject to Sharia law. And if we lived in any of those Muslim countries, then we would be subject to that. They would make us subject to that. And so the world wants conformity. The European Union, which started out as a, I suppose, as a agreements and trade between different nations, which would be a good thing. To have free agreements with trade with different nations, that's great. Good for business. But we all know it's gone beyond that, hasn't it? 
uh, and not even our own natural laws in Great Britain is subject to European law. And so if people don't get what they want under British law, they appeal to European law, and that trumps us. Uh, so it's become a, a, almost a federal state. So it's conformity, where every nation has to conform to European diktats. We see that every day of our lives. And it's affecting our lives, affecting our business, it's affecting our laws, affecting our education, it's affecting everything. <coughs> the world will try to squeeze us into its mold and how we spend our money. God has got a different agenda for us. He's got a different set of values for the Christian. The Christian is to be generous. We're not to be miserable and tight and grasping and greedy. We're to be generous. We're not to be takers, but we're to be givers. The world will try to squeeze us into its mold with our marriages and how to raise our children. Well, let me tell you, the world's not making a very good job of it, is it? The divorce rate is going through the roof all the time. But the world will try to squeeze us into its mold. This is how your marriage should work. This is how your children should behave. This is what they should do. This is what they should be taught. This is what they need to learn. And so we need to be careful. The Word of God is our template for our marriages and how to raise our children. Because the world's not making a very good job of it. It's disastrous, in fact. Jesus refused to copy or model or pattern his life after this world. Jesus refused to copy or pattern his spiritual lifestyle after the religious world that he lived among. And the Pharisees despised him for it. <laughs> he showed it up as a sham of something that was external, not internal. I showed you just a moment ago when we were in the Ukraine, I showed you that uh, Orthodox church. And when you walk into that, the first thing we thought was, this is all external. It's not internal. It's all to see and to show, but there's no life in it. Jesus came, he had none of that. And the Jews loved their temple, and they loved the external, and they loved their dress, how they dressed in the marketplace. They loved all those external things, and they pray openly in the marketplace to be seen of men. It was all external, but there's nothing internal. And Jesus came to change us from the inside and to make a difference to our hearts. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He refused to be squeezed into its mold, and he refused to be squeezed into that religious mold. And they fought against him, and in the end they crucified him for it. He did not play the religious games. Daniel and the three Hebrew boys they refused to be conformed to this world. In Daniel chapter 1, you remember how they were captives? It said, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand, and some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. The king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace. So he picked the cream of the crop out of all of the Jewish captives, the best-looking, the smartest, the wisest, the ones who could hold themselves of nobility uh, and from the king. And he said, whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Now, one of the first things they did was to change their names, wasn't it? Remember, there was Daniel and Hazariah, Azariah and Mishael and so forth. Remember the Hebrew boys? They all had Hebrew names. The first thing he did was change all of that to Belteshazzar, to Shadrach, to Meshach, to Abednego. And so they gave them names of their gods. And then secondly, they instructed them and tried to educate them in the things of Babylon. So they tried to change their thinking. What were they doing? Squeezing them into their world's mode whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. And so they were three years at the University of Babylon. And for three years they've been taught and trained, squeezed into that Babylonian mold. Everything they had known, everything they had learned as young Hebrews about the true living God, Yahweh, that was now being, as far as they were concerned, hopefully taken away from them and being taught Babylonianism and being taught about the Babylonian gods. And they even changed their name. They even changed their diet. But it says, verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. And so he asked the head of the eunuchs, he says, we're not going to take this. We're not going to conform. Here's what to do. Give us vegetables and give us water for 10 days. Then come back and inspect us after 10 days. And the eunuch was afraid because he thought after 10 days they're going to look miserable and terrible looking. The king's going to see. But when they came back after 10 days, they were fairer and they were fatter than the other other young men because they would not conform because they would not conform they would not compromise you see every time we conform to this world we compromise something of our Christian beliefs and that's the danger and once you go on that slippery slope there's no telling what you'll compromise in next and so the pressure is on to try to get us to conform Bible says about Moses that when he became of age, Hebrews 11, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He wanted to suffer with the people of God. He chose that to suffer affliction with the people of God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. When Moses, who was a, a prince of Egypt, remember the little boy that 
His mum and dad set him off down the Nile in the basket, and Pharaoh's daughter picked him up, took him home, raised him as her son. But when he came 40 years old, he could take no more. So he refused. I will not do this. And he had to flee Egypt. So he refused to compromise, and he refused to conform. Joseph refused to conform, even though he was a slave, and even though his master's wife begged him, pleaded with him to sleep with her. There wouldn't have been another slave that wouldn't have jumped at the opportunity, but not Joseph. He refused to conform, therefore he refused to compromise. And he would not, he says, I will not sin against God and against my master. Ended up, he got put in jail for that. But whenever he was in jail, God used that time in jail to raise him up to become the prime minister of Egypt. Be not conformed to this world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Ephesians 4.23, he puts it this way. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Our minds have got tremendous capabilities, unparalleled in any creature on the face of the earth. We have the power of reason, of perception, of deduction, of rationale, of logic, of memory. Your mind can solve the most complex of problems. Your mind can compose the greatest of music and of art and of poetry. And we can imagine, we can dream, we can envision. Our minds are brilliant, exceptional in this world that we live in amongst every living creature. But that's not really what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the spirit of your mind, the attitude of your mind, our mindset, the moral and spiritual attitude of our mind. How does it deal with God and eternal things? That's what constantly needs to be renewed in our lives. How does it deal in relation to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit? How do we think? Our thinking has to change. Before we became believers, we were not thinking of the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. We're not thinking of eternal things. We're not thinking about divine things. We had all this capability as a brain, as a mind in that sense, but spiritually speaking, we were not thinking the right things. Now that we've become believers, now we do think the right way, but we've got to continually renew our minds. Why do we have to do that? Because we live in a world that's anti the things of God, that's anti the Word of God. And every single day of our lives, we're being faced by this continually. So we need to renew our minds continually. You are a tripartite being. You are spirit, you are soul, and you are body. And with your spirit, you're God-conscious. And with your body, you're world-conscious. You've got five senses. That's how we interact with everything around us, isn't it? But with your soul, the soulish part of us is self-conscious. 
uh, our soul, the word is psyche. That's the seat of our mind, our will, our emotions, our desires. And that's the part where we have the trouble with. That's what clashes with this world system that we live in. So we need this part constantly renewed. One day the Bible says this body will be changed. This body is decaying right now. You want to see the shape of me getting out in that car, wasn't it, Clifford? Yeah. They're helping us out and in. Something to behold. Something to behold. It's like a creaking gate. So this body, as it gets older, it starts to decay. And one day it will decay away completely. Sally's dad died there just last week, 97 years old. His body just gave up and gave out. That's natural. But one day the believer will get a new body. I haven't got that yet, but one day we will. But our spirit is saved. It's born again of God. It's renewed every day. Our spirit is getting fresher every day. But our soulish part, the mind part, needs to be renewed daily. That's what we've got to work on. Hmm. Listen to what Philippians says. Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> let this attitude, let this way of thinking, let this behavior. 1 Corinthians 2.16 Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. The living puts it this way. But strange as it seems, we Christians actually do have within us a portion of the very thoughts and wisdom of Christ. That's what causes us to think differently than we used to think. We never thought the things of Christ. We never thought about the wisdom of Christ. We never thought about the word of God. But whenever he became born again of his spirit, then his wisdom and his thoughts begin to come into our minds. Romans 8, 5 and 6 talks about a spiritual mind. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Every single day of our lives, we need to be thinking thoughts about God, about the Lord, about the Word, about the things of God. And that keeps refreshing us and renewing us. You've got to discipline yourself to do it. That means you've got to take some time apart to do that. Should you go for a walk or go into a room or whatever, you've got to take some time apart. Even if it's 10 minutes, 5 minutes, and renew your thoughts because, you're, because we live in this world we've got to work on it live in it eat in it sleep in it play in it our mind is constantly being bombarded so we need to renew our minds Amen. 2 Corinthians sorry 2 Timothy 1.7 talks about a sound mind for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and of a sound mind a mind that can make sound judgments a mind that thinks correctly a mind that's trained to think God's way. It doesn't come naturally. We have to train it. We have to think about it. We have to meditate on it. We have to make sure as best we can we're thinking God's way because we live in this world and it's trying to squeeze us into its mold to make us think how it thinks 
and act how it acts and talk how it talks. So we need to turn from that and say, well, God, what, is you, what do you say? How do you think about this? What's your word in this? 2 Corinthians 8 and 12 talks about a willing mind. For if there's first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, those two chapters are the greatest giving chapters in the whole Bible. The greatest teaching on giving you'll ever get. And this is what he says. If there first is a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Why does he say that? If you have a willing mind... When it comes to giving in the kingdom of God, if you have a willing mind, you'll always want to give more than you have. How many times have you found yourself saying, I wish I could have been able to give more to that? I gave what I had. But if I had more to give more, that shows you have a willing mind. And when you have a willing mind, you want to give more. You want to be in a position to be able to give more. Sometimes you're disappointed if a appeal is made and you read about an appeal or hear about an appeal and you wish you could give to that or even more to that and you haven't got it and you're disappointed. I wish I could, but I can't. That's because you've got a willing mind. A willing mind is always wanting to give more than it has. And that's a good thing. But Paul says, don't be condemned about it. If you haven't got it, you haven't got it. But if you have got it, then give according to your ability. Have a willing mind. Thank God this church has got a willing mind when it comes to giving. Thank God. You know, for a church our size, we're good givers. I'm not trying to in any way boast in that. It's just a reality. There's some churches are miserable. And I mean miserable. I could tell you story after story after story because I know lots of preachers and visiting speakers and sometimes what they tell you would be ashamed. <laughs> you say, oh, thank God I don't go to that church. <laughs> a good friend of mine one time, he was preaching and he, after he finished preaching, maybe I told you a story before, they gave him a big, a big brown manila envelope and it was stuffed. I thought, praise God. Now this is a man who's he's full-time ministry. He's not like a pastor in a church. He's traveling all over. He's got his expenses. So they're giving this big fat envelope. They, oh, thank God. Says, That's wonderful. And he drove up the road. And he couldn't wait to open it. And he opened it. And it was BP vouchers. You, get, you know, six of them will get you a free glass in the garage. Remember they used to do that years ago? <laughs> That's all he got. A whole big envelope full of BP vouchers. I, tell you, I know. I would drove straight back and give them back to them again. That's what I'd have done. He was more gracious than me. He probably kept them. <laughs> I know another church a fellow told me, in fact, this, the guy who visited this church was the head of a particular denomination. And he was quite bold, this guy, and he heard about this church and every preacher that ever went to it, the treasure was miserable as sin. And maybe they said, how many miles did it take for you to get here? Let me count that up. And it was just miserable. So this uh, head of this denomination, he was preaching that at one time, knowing this guy, what he was like. So when the guy came to the end, he says, Brother, uh, how much do you think I should give you today? He held out his hand. He says, start counting. <laughs> <laughs> so he started to count. He says, keep counting. And then he stopped. Oh, he says, no, no, keep counting. And he says, he took every penny he had, and he folded up. He says, now never in your life ever do that with anybody ever again. 
be generous to the people of God. <laughs> well, thank God you're not like that. Praise God for that. I don't have to squeeze anything out of you. Thank God. I couldn't live to do that. But here we are. Went very quiet there for a while, but nevertheless. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell any tales out of school, so you're right. You can relax now. Sit back and relax. Galatians 3.12 says, Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Why? Sally's dad just died, 97. Last week, on this week, we have been sorting through his stuff. We were just talking about this the other night. Somebody, someday, somebody's going to be sorting through our stuff. That's the reality. Every single thing we have, we will not take one pen of it with us. Nothing. Every photograph, every paper, every ornament, everything you have as a hobby, everything, somebody will be sorting through it. And to them, it will just be junk, most of it. Some of your treasured possessions to somebody else will just be junk. They'll be taking it to Joyce and Christine in the charity shop. <laughs> There's that wee ornament they love dearly. I'm sure you get 50p for that. You may as well have it. <laughs> That's the reality. That's why we've got to set our affections on things above, not on things there, because we're not taking any of it with us. Nothing. It's all going to be dumped someday. Truth. Acts 17, 1 and 2 says, The Bereans were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things be so. Therefore, many of them believed. They received the word with all readiness, with all eagerness. The Bereans loved to receive the word of God. They were eager to receive it, and not just to hear it, and not just to accept everything they heard unless and until they checked it out. So no matter whether it was Paul or whoever it was was preaching to them, they would go home and they would check it out. They weren't just going to take the preacher's word for it. They were chanting, does this line up with God's word? That's a good thing to do. It really is. They had an eager, ready mind to receive. But they were careful what they received. They didn't just receive everything. They checked it out. Let me tell you, some of the stuff on Christian television, you need to check it out with the word of God. You hear me? You need to check it out with the Word of God. Philippians chapter 4. We're almost finished here. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your minds and hearts through Christ Jesus. Will guard, will stand around like soldiers, like sentinels. 
will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You're not going to get much of that in the world. Not much purity, not much virtue, not much praiseworthy. No wonder we'll have to fix our minds on these things. Many, many years ago when I was a young man, I used to work in the <laughs> electricity board. What do they call it now, Brian? You were? NIE. I think it was the EBNR or something. Like <coughs> electricity board of Northern Ireland. We used to have to put the electricity poles in. And as you're driving along, you'll see electricity poles and you'll see this wire coming at an angle from the top of the pool down into the ground, right way down into the ground, well, the way it used to be, right down in the ground and a big railway sleeper at the end of it. So it couldn't get out. That was called a stay. And, and all those wires that were going off maybe at a different angle, that kept that pole straight, that stay. If you snipped that stay and cut that stay, the whole lot would fall. That kept the balance, kept it straight. There's a picture fixing our minds on the Word of God. There's pressures, there's tensions, there's strains of this Word coming at us. We need to stay in life to keep us upright, to keep us straight, and that's the Word of God. One last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3, reading from verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stone, this is talking about the law, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. When Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, when he came down, there was so much of the glory of God on him, he had to put a veil on his face. His face was shining with the glory of God. And that was to do with the law which is passing away. So he says, Moses did it because of the glory of his countenance which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory and the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory, for even that which is made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. In other words, even though that was glorious, but in comparison to the glory of the New Testament and the glory of grace and the glory of the love of God and the glory of the mercy of God and the glory of Christ, then it peels into insignificance. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have much hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at, at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until the day, till this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. 
And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But notice this. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What is this mirror that we're looking into? This mirror is the Word of God. In the little book of James, in chapter 1, let me just read this, in verse 22, he says, Therefore be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word of God and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, he goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, into this book, and continues in it, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in all that he does. So what is Paul and what are James is saying here? They're saying that this book, this Bible, this is like a mirror. Not like the mirror on your wall. When you look at the mirror on your wall, what do you see? You see yourself looking back at you, don't you? You know, and you shave, and you pray, and you put your lipstick on, and you do your eyebrows, or whatever. Well, I don't do that, but I shave right now. <laughs> and then you walk away. But when you look into this mirror of the Word of God, what you see is Christ. You see Jesus. You see Christ. And the more you look into this mirror and see Christ, the more His reflection will be on you. Are you still with me? the more his reflection will be on you. You'll become what you're looking at. You'll become Christ-like in nature, in attitude, in work, in walk, in life. That's why I continually tell you, keep your nose in this book. Keep looking into this mirror. Keep looking at Christ in his word, and you'll become like him. The image of him will become like, you know, his image will become on you. And people will see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Be not conformed to this world. But so be transformed. Metamorphosized, it actually is. Becoming something you weren't. That little insect becomes larva and then pupa. Then it breaks out of that shell. Maybe it becomes a butterfly. Maybe it becomes a lovely moth. We're transformed into something we never were before. By the Holy Spirit and by His Word. By those two things, the Spirit and the Word, will transform us into the people that God wants us to be. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that moment whenever you came into our lives and you saved us and you changed us and you cleansed us and you made us different than we ever were. And Lord, that was a work of your grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. You just gave it because you loved us. So we thank you for that today. And thank you that you're continually changing us. 
as we read your word, as we pray, as we look to you, as we trust in you, as we come to the house of God, as we do everything that we ought to do as believers, then you're continually transforming us and changing us into your image. Lord, we're not there yet. There's still rough edges to be buffed. But Lord, in your grace and your mercy, you keep working on us. And you forgive us our mistakes, Lord. And whenever we fall, you pick us up and you dust us down and you send us on our way again. We thank you for your mercies today. We bless you for who you are. Lord, we're nothing in ourselves. We're creatures of the dust. And yet, Lord, in your mercy, you saved us. So we bless you for that. So, Lord, continue to transform us into your image. Continue to help us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior so that we will be an advertisement for Jesus, a signpost for the Master, that others may see something of Christ's mercy and goodness shining in us. So we bless you and we give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.